This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman, and I'm a dental division director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. Uh, I'm located out of Tustin, California, for those of you listening to the podcast for the first time. And as I tell you, every time we come on the air, uh, I have uh, gained many, many friends in the dental field in 38 years. Uh, we're coming up on uh, 38 years in September that I've been a dental CPA. And one of my good friends is going to be my guest today is Michael Dinzio, who is the co-founder of Next Level Consultants. He's out of Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Michael is a national uh, dental coach. Uh, I, I like the word coach better than consultant. So he's a coach. If he wants to be a consultant, I guess he can be a consultant. And uh, Michael has a um, works with dentists in their practices, along with having a, a, a big specialty in helping doctors not only start up practices, but also do due diligence on the management side. And we're going to talk about that. And it's going to get into all kinds of discussions about what's going on in dentistry today. So I'll bring Michael on in a, in a moment. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. So I want to remind you about our wonderful, wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine. Go to their website at www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, 140 wonderful continuing education courses that they offer uh, for a very reasonable price. And the best clinical content and the best um, uh, clinical articles you're going to find anywhere in the dental world. Go to www.decisionsanddentistry.com. Um, also, my mothership is the Academy of Dental CPAs, 25 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. We at Ide Bailey represent about 1,000 dentists. 300 of them are in our office in Tustin with my wonderful partners, Don Watson and Pam Chamberlain. So uh, if you're looking for a dental CPA around the country, www.adcpa.org. My phone number is 657-279-3243. And my email is awiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at idebailey.com. So it's a beautiful day, the 1st of June. We're recording today. And yesterday I was in my happy place, which is on a golf course. 
And uh, I posted on my Instagram. If you want to follow me on Instagram, I'm Arthur Wiederman on Instagram. And on my Instagram, I posted a picture of me next to a golf ball that was about nine inches to a foot from the hole. So I mentioned on my post, I've been happily married to my wonderful wife, Lynn, for 37 years. I have two awesome children. I've talked about them on the podcast, Nathan and Forrest. But something has been missing in my life, and it's a hole-in-one. I didn't get the hole-in-one yesterday, but I came within a foot of it. And I, it gives me hope, you know, Robin Williams, when he talks about golf in Scotland. And if you ever want a really good laugh, you're having a bad day, just Google Robin Williams golf in Scotland. And it is the funniest thing you're ever going to hear. So he gives, talks about giving you hope. So I came as close to a hole in one yesterday on a 100, about a 200 yard par three in uh, San Juan Capistrano, California. So I'm going to get that hole in one when I do, folks, there's going to be a big party here in Southern California. <laughs> Anyway, um, do remember a couple things before we get to Michael. Number one, if you have not looked at the employee retention tax credit, we still have time to do that. Uh, we have about a year for the 2020 year and about two years for the 2021 year. If you had a greater than 20% reduction in your gross receipts for any of the first three quarters of 2021 versus 2019, or the fourth quarter of 2020 versus the fourth quarter of 2019, um, you've got a potential of $7,000 per quarter per employee. And we have been running up big, big numbers. We're up well over $4 million in tax credits just in my little group for dentists, over 100 dental practices we've helped with that. And for 2020, in the second quarter of 2020, when we all know that you had to shut down, uh, if you had a greater than 50% reduction in your gross receipts, second quarter of 2020, second quarter of 2019, uh, that is a little bit less, but we're getting some really nice numbers here. I just did one the other day, $250,000 for about a million and a half dollar dental practice. It was, it's really good. So if you want information on that, let me know, make sure that if you, most of you are coming up on your filing for forgiveness for your second PPP loan. Right around now, if you haven't done it, look at the date. It's 24 weeks plus 10 months from the date you got the money. If you don't do that, the bank's going to ask for some of the money back. And finally, folks, we're coming up. I'm putting some really good programs together. If any of you are going to be at the Academy of General Dentistry meeting, national meeting in uh, Orlando, Florida, I will be speaking on July 28th. Uh, three hours on the metrics of a dental practice, knowing your numbers, and three hours on financial planning. If you're going to be at the meeting, come to my lecture. Come say hi. I'll be walking around the floor the 27th and speaking on the 28th. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. All right, let me get to my wonderful guest and my good friend, uh, Michael Denzio, who is the um, co-founder, as I mentioned, of Next Level Consultants. Uh, Michael's firm works nationwide. Uh, he is based out of Tacoma, Washington. Um, Michael has been on the front end of more than 300 dental startups and over 250 practice transitions from Alaska, Washington, Oregon, Colorado, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut, wherever 
he is, that's where he goes. He's just all over the place. He works nationwide, um, helping doctors buy, start up, expand, and manage their practices. Michael Denzio, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Art, thank you so much, brother. It's a, it's truly an honor. Uh, I've been listening to your show for years, so thank you for having me. Finally, well, I'm glad we were finally able to get together. In fact, it was, uh, it was my son Forrest who uh, uh, we we talked, and he says you should really have Michael on the podcast. I said, yeah, and we we chatted, and so so before we get going, uh, my understanding that you. Uh, you played a little basketball in Ohio in high school against some guy named LeBron. Tell me about that. Yeah, not too many people know him, but uh, the uh, LeBron James. Uh, <laughs> not too many people know LeBron James. By the way, if it, you don't like basketball, uh, yeah, LeBron is LeBron James, who is probably one of the you know two or three greatest basketball players in the history of the NBA. Yes, and and the funny thing is, our like, I. I don't tell too many people that story because it's kind of not true because I guarded him, but there's no guarding LeBron. So <laughs> what I, what I would like to say is, is I was on the court with him uh-huh. and I was running beside him on the court. He did what he wanted. Oh, he did what oh, he wanted. I, I mean, I, I, I've, I've never met LeBron. Um, I I've met Shaq, uh, but I've never met LeBron and, um, he is like guarding a freight train. I mean, the guy is just uh, unbelievable, huh? Well, when when I guarded him, he was as skinny as I was, or I am. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So he 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 was. Uh, I think he was a sophomore when I was a senior, which is dating me a little bit. But he uh, he was not the man that he is today. He put on so much muscle when he went from high school to the NBA, he looks completely different than he did when I was in high school. Oh yeah. The guy, the guy is an absolute beast and, and just, uh, what's he 37, 38. I mean, he's just, and he's at the top of his game. Uh, we're hoping here in Southern California that since we got a new coach and maybe we will make the playoffs next year, but that is another podcast that's called the art of how the Lakers make the playoffs, but that's not what we're talking (laughs) about today. So anyway, Hey, Michael, why don't you tell us a little bit about your journey? Uh, where have you come from? And tell us how you got into forming, uh, starting Next Level Consultants. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Uh, you know, my journey is, uh, I like to say that I'm a recovering banker, an ex-banker. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm so glad I'm out of that world. It is crazy these days. But um, I was fortunate enough, though, to work with one of the uh, biggest dental lenders in the country that your son now works for. That's how I got to know Forrest. And uh, in in that journey, I, I had done tons and tons of acquisitions and startups, covered multiple areas of the country, um, got to see the differences between the coasts, you know, how they value practices and, and how they look at underwriting for those types of practices. And then got, got to see what the mountain states were like uh, in Denver. So covered Colorado and 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 got a really good national idea of how dental deals were done as a banker and then just got a little exhausted from the transactional world I it's totally fine it's just I I always craved more I wanted to understand more I wanted to dig in deeper on these practices I built great relationships with my clients and I just kind of wanted to follow them so I realized quickly that consulting was probably the direction that I was going to go long term. 
And it wasn't until we had my wife and I had our first kiddo and some things happened in our lives where we had to move back to Washington. And so that was the trigger for me to get into consulting. And so since I since I've been in consulting, I, I think we've helped 118 docs alone in in startup and or acquisitions. And we also have lots of practice management clients. So the firm's much different than that, but that's kind of the journey, ex-banker to consultant. Cool. So we're going to talk today, we're going to split this into maybe two parts, Michael. And like we talked about is we're going to talk about startups and we're going to talk about um, maybe some ideas of if you're going to buy a practice, but doctors who own practices who are not doing either, don't turn this podcast off because we're going to be getting into, we're going to be talking about, uh, you know, how do you find dental team members when you start up? You know, what kind of systems should you have? So, so this podcast, while we're focusing on the startups and we're focusing on acquisitions is going to cover a lot more than that. So let's get started. Talk about, uh, for startups, what are the first things that a dentist should consider? You know, that they're thinking, I want to start a practice. What What's the first thing and they come to you say, I haven't done anything yet. Unfortunately, most of them come to you and say, I've done all these things and they're all wrong, right? Okay. <laughs> but we we hope that they come to you. So doctors, if you're going to start up a practice or you're going to start another location, you know, you want to give someone like Michael a call before you do anything. So what's the first things that we tell a dentist to do when they're starting to think about starting a practice? Yeah. So starting a practice, you know, again, that Bank of America history really helped me because Bank of America at one time did 1,200 startups in a calendar year, which is the most anybody uh, had done in the country. And that was like 2012. So I'm sure they're doing well over 15, maybe even 2,000 a year now. So they really did write the book on startups. And I learned a lot of stuff. And I guess what I'm trying to say there is that there is a process to startup, just like I always say there's a process to prepping a tooth. I'm not a clinician. I don't understand that world, but but there everybody kind of has their own unique way to get to the the final result of no no margins. But but there is a a, a an approach and there is a a process that mitigates risk. So by doing specific things on the front end can mitigate a, a, a more difficult time in the future. For a startup. So to answer your question directly, you know, I, I find that people don't spend the time to prepare before they head into the process. And what I mean by that is business planning, uh, really looking at their personal financials and how that relates uh, to what they're about to do, not because of what the banks are requiring, but because they need a, a security blanket before they go into starting a business. You know, Michael, that, that's a great point. And, and, and I've been involved in my share of startups too, not as deep as you are, you know, in my mind, you know, a, a dentist is not going to walk into a dental office and make $250,000, uh, in the first year that they practice making as a net. I, I tell doctors, you know, that if, if you, you know, and, and I'd be curious as to what your goal number would be, but you know, they're going to have to have working capital. We're going to talk about that here. But do you like to see a doctor maybe when they start their practice, maybe they're working, what, two or three days in the new startup and then working as an associate to pay the bill? How do you like to advise people to do that? Yeah, 100%. So, I mean, this this program is is heavy financial and metrics and business. So from the startup perspective, it's the greatest fear for somebody to get into a startup. 
because there's no cash flow in a startup. And that's why everybody wants to do an acquisition. Um, but sometimes they get kind of forced to a startup because they can't find a good practice to buy. So they end up doing a startup. But, but I think that's a false read. Doing a startup is not necessarily a, a place to go to go to be poor. The, you, you know, you, you need to hold on to your associate position and continue to earn and make money and pay the bills at home while you're growing your business, your startup. And so I like to coach people. If they come to me early enough, and you made a great point, get professionals involved earlier because you can make some mistakes. Some, some, it's it's going to cause you some heartburn later on. I always say find two jobs, two associate positions. And a lot of our, our, a lot of my clients are, are already doing this. They're moonlighting and other practices. But the perfect scenario would be you would get two associate positions, one where you might be working two or three days and one where you might be working another two days. Okay. And the reason why I say you do that is because you're going to drop one of them and keep the other while you do the startup. Because it's a lot harder to have a full-time job, approach your employer and say, hey, I'm your biggest producer. I'm a linchpin in your practice. But hey, I'm going to drop my hours in half because I'm going to go do a startup. It's a harder conversation. That, that's a great point. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, that yeah, go ahead. And, 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 and the cool thing about it is you get to choose which associate position you want to keep because there is going to be one that's better than the other. Maybe the hours, maybe the production, maybe it's less stressful. But the cool thing is you get to choose out of the two which one you keep, and then you go build your business around that that other one. And hopefully you get to the point where you can drop the second two-day-a-week job and go full bore into your practice four or five, whatever number of days a week. So I'll tell you what I hear from dentists who are starting a practice is they all say to me, Art, I have to sign up for every single PPO there is, or I won't have any patients. Uh, what's your take when we start off on, on that? I mean, obviously when you start a, a startup, you don't have any patients. You're, you got a clean slate. What do you talk to your doctors about regarding PPOs versus fee for service versus HMO versus, uh, you know, the other options out there? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to say this, that there is no one size fits all. Of course. I mean, I mean, Art and I, we both have a podcast and the things that we tell folks on our podcast, sometimes I get people call me and say, you said this. And the truth is, is one size never fits all. But if I were to go out on the limb and just kind of generically say what you should do as a startup, the answer is, is absolutely take insurance. Um, I I don't know all of your visions out there. You could be a, a prost, you could be a a full mouth restore type dentist, that might be a different conversation. But for the everyday bread and butter dentist, crown, bridge, fillings, perio, hygiene, you know, the the everyday bread and butter, the answer is, is absolutely take insurances. You can always wean yourself off later, but to sit around and twiddle your thumbs and pay employees just to sit around and not have any revenue is just bad business in my in my mind. And and I, again, there's a strategy on how to get off of them, but if two dollars is better than zero dollars, and and when you have rent, loan payments, wages, 
mean, when you have these expenses that you have to pay no matter what, you got to get patients in. That's number one. Number two, remember, folks, your first 100 patients will drive the growth of your first practice. If you can't see 100 patients, you can't get Google reviews. You can't get referrals to other friends and family. You Activity breeds activity. So if your ultimate plan is to get off insurance, fine. But to grow and build a, a business from scratch, you need activity to breed more activity. And, and with that point, Michael, let's let's jump into because again, we, we we have a limited amount of time, and I want to cover as many yeah. areas as we can. Uh, you know, we need a hundred patients to to get to the starting line. What kind of marketing do you like to recommend for someone who's doing a startup? What what's a good budget? What what do you like to see them do? How do you advise them on that? I know you're not a marketing expert, but you obviously have input into what they should be doing, right? Yeah. So ironically, my my undergrad, I, I went to Ohio State, go Buckeyes, uh, and went to their really great business school and, and focused in marketing. Then I worked for a marketing firm before my banking career. So marketing, banking, now consulting. So I have a lot of a lot of things to talk about. And this is one of my hot buttons. There are marketing firms all over this great country. I probably tons get them. a met tons. I I probably get three LinkedIn messages a week from marketing people that want your business, folks, want your business. And the truth is, is not all of them are equal and not all of them can get the job done. And some of them have a lot of experience. And there's a lot of things to say about this topic, Art, but this is where I want to pull in the practice owners of your, your, uh, your listener pool. The practice owners are always asking me, like, how do I grow my practice? For a startup, for an existing practice owner, the answers are ex- exactly the same. So this is where you could pull in some, some little carrots. I will tell you that everybody has to have an appealing website that when someone lands on your website, it attracts them and they, they are appealed to call. So, so like... It, it can't just be a slapstick templated website. It shouldn't be anyways. Um, and remember, I read an article, 53 seconds is the average time people spend on your website. That's probably like two scrolls, maybe three scrolls, and then they're gone. So if you can't connect with them somehow in 53 seconds, forget it. If all of your great information is at the end of the first page, you, they're never going to read it. The, the the best things that you have to offer have to be the first thing they see. So here's my hot button on that. I can't tell you how many websites, dental and non-dental that I've gone on. I can't find the phone number. I know. I know. Exactly. You want me to call you to be a customer or yeah. a patient and I can't find your flipping find. phone number. See, I didn't say a bad word. I said flipping. Yeah. So, you know, that, I can't find your phone number. That's art. What's up with that? (laughs) That's art's passion words on on my podcast, Startup Uncensored and Acquisition Uncensored. We actually say the real F words. Uh, Art's a lot more uh, classy than that. I'm joking. We don't. I wouldn't go that far, but yeah, yeah. But the point the point that I'm that, that I'm making here is is that yes, you have to be able to get somebody to act. And and to your point, have a, a link on there that says book an appointment or call us or, or, or a map, but that's not the marketing 
like silver bullet. To me, you have to spend money to make money. And your first 100 patients are going to be your most expensive investment, the most expensive one. But you take those opportunities and you get ROI from them. You ask them for a review. You ask them to refer their friends. Um, and and it, like I said, it, it breeds activity. So to answer your question, I think for practice owners, if you're in growth mode, I always say three to 5% is an aggressive budget, but that's a growth strategy budget. Three to okay. 5% of your top line. Fair enough. For a startup, for a startup though, are for a startup, you have no revenue. So what's the proper budget? I always say somewhere between 30 to 50,000 if you're yeah. aggressive. If you if you have the money, a lot of people don't have that money, but 30 to 50 is what you probably should do your first year. But you need to build that into your loan and your budget. And it's so important. It's so it's so important, Michael, that people look at their personal financial situation and say, can I afford to do this? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I know. That's always the question. The, the The shocker is that there's plenty of lenders out there, including your son, that can give you a loan fairly easy. But it you there are still some qualifiers. You got to have some cash in on hand because right. no banker wants to give somebody six, seven hundred thousand dollars and you have five grand in the bank account like that. That doesn't make sense. So right. you got to have fifty to seventy grand just to make a, a banker feel good about giving you a, almost a half a million dollars. Oh, well, a half a million dollars. But then they also give you graduated payments. They also give you a ton of working capital. You're also negotiating free rent. You're also not hiring a full, full team because you're trying, you got to manage all these expenses in your first two years. So it, it's not as bad as you might think. You just got to no. control it. Yeah, so we're, we're going to hit the team in a minute. I want to hit one more thing. Choosing a location. What steps should a dentist take to choose the right location to open his or her dental practice? Love that question. Remember when I said that the first step should be more planning, business planning? Well, it goes in in the same vein of that. Like you got to have a business plan and know what kind of patients you're looking for. uh, You know, what kind of team members you want to look for, like what kind of brand you have and competitors, competitive analysis. You really need to have that game plan before you even approach a banker. Oftentimes our, our clients have zero plan and they, they have the banker or an equipment rep help them with their own game plan. Well, that's what's your game plan, right? And so in that line, if you are very clear about your vision and what kind of business you want to operate in, then you do a demographic report and a demographic report is going to tell you, and there's some great ones out there, maybe Arts interviewed them, but, but they're going to tell you some metrics that hedge our, our bets or our risk. It's not the tell all. It's not, you know, there's going to be some noise in some of these reports, but if you could get a report that says this area needs a dentist desperately, then that's going to be a really good area for you to set up shop just by supply and demand alone. You're also going to get growth percentages. You're also going to get income, uh, you know, average income, household ownership, average age, get a lot of data points so that you can kind of compare and contrast which areas might be best for you. But remember, it all depends on your vision. I talked to a 
Prostodonis yesterday. And demographics doesn't necessarily make sense because he is doing some highly specialized stuff. So competition's not as important. He's just trying to pull the right people. So he needs higher earners, um, you know, stuff like that. So there's a lot of variables there, but big picture business plan and demographics report will steer you in the right direction to find the right location. All right. And then um, I I know one of the things that you help doctors with are minimizing construction and equipment costs. Maybe some tips if you're starting up or building out a second location or expanding. What what can you do on that end? Yeah. So project so projects in today you know are you you said the, the the date and time the date uh, of this episode this is marking a moment in time where construction is crazy i mean absolutely crazy like in the yep. last 5 years dollar per per uh, square foot has just blown up and the banks are trying to keep up with it with how much money they can give but honestly, they're not keeping up with the construction. You've got plumbing supplies are crazy. Labor supplies are crazy. I mean, even you all folks are dealing with the hygienists and, and dental assistants and everybody asking for more raises. Well, the contractors are dealing with the same thing. Um, so big picture, um, you know, there's a lot of strategies. There it could be an episode in itself, Art. But there's, oh, yeah. two strategy, there's two strategies there. There's bidding. And there's doing a design build. And when you bid, you need an architect to help you put the plans together and really design the space. And there's a pitfall with that, that route because a designer could over-design a space. And then the contractor has, is they're only going to give you an expensive price because your designer over-engineered this. So bidding is great, but the engineer or the architect could over-engineer it. Then the other route is design bid, uh, or I'm sorry, design build, design build. And that's partnering with the contractor and putting the architect underneath the contractor, but partnering with the contractor. And you're always going to usually, you're typically going to hit your budget, but all of the control and all of the powers with the contractor. So you really got to trust your contractor if you go all in with them. And so there's different ways about approaching construction. Yeah. And again, we, you're right. You could make each one of these topics a separate separate podcast. I want to take a second and, and Michael, talk a little bit about what you guys do uh, at Next Level and how if someone had some questions or wanted to connect with you, you're thinking about a startup, you're thinking about due diligence on buying a practice, or you're just thinking about, you know, your practice needs some help and you like what you're hearing here. How, how do people get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks for that. Are uh, go to nxlevelconsultants.com. So nxlevelconsultants.com is the website. You can find us there. Um, I'm sure Art will have the show notes below. I'll give him all my contact information there. But my my big give is is call me. Uh, I'm uh, I, I give my time. That's what I give, and I'll give you everything I have on that first call. A lot of consultants hold back. They think they, they might hold the secret sauce. If you can ask me direct questions like art is, I will give you, I will give you as much as I can inside that 45 minute consult. And if you like what you're hearing, we can, we can move the conversation forward. If I never hear from you again, that's okay. But I'll give you a free coaching call basically uh, inside that 45 minutes. And if you're looking to buy a practice, start a practice or grow your practice, 
me and my team, uh, we can help. I've, I've got other folks that help me. I've got a hygienist that owns a practice and has been in the business for 30 years. I have a front office gal who's credential, a, a credentialing queen and billing queen and a front office guru. And between the three of us, we have the answers. And I think that's what differentiates us are, is that I don't uh, act like I know everything. I was never a hygienist. I never worked at the front desk. So how could I coach that? I have two professionals that have done that for careers. And the three of us kind of stay in our lane as we coach the folks that we coach. And if I don't know it, Paula knows it. If Paula doesn't know it, Stefani knows it and so on. So we try to put a team around you so that you have answers, real, tangible, roll up the sleeves, actionable things. Is there a phone number they can reach you at? You can call my cell phone. It's 720-309-9551. And uh, I might not pick up, but I'll definitely get back to you. Perfect. All right, let's get back to the topics. And then I want to get into some stuff on um, buying a practice. So, and, and again, this topic affects everybody. So the biggest, biggest thing that dentists are dealing with, that accountants are dealing with, that banks are dealing with, that retail stores are finding and maintaining good team members. So you're doing a startup. How do my dentists who are doing a startup or even dentists in practice, what are some tips? What do you look for in an employee? And and maybe some tips on what you're seeing as the best way to find them and and, and to keep them. Again, another full podcast. Yeah, lo- loaded question. Loaded. Okay, I'm going to try not to be cliche here. I'm going to try not to sound like a consultant slash coach. Okay. But I'm, but I'm going to be honest here. My startups that believe in themselves and have a very crystal clear vision can get almost anybody to work for them because they will help that hygienist or dental assistant buy into what we're trying to create. People naturally want to be a part of something that's new, that's better than what's being offered today. So for, for folks that own a practice today, you know, you may have been practicing for 20 years. You're tired. COVID beat the crap out of you. Like, I could see how you could get into a funk as a practice owner and have been in the business forever. But I'm here to tell you, when you get in front of somebody that you want that's talented, show them why you're the best practice to work for. Not just benefits, not just pay but get them to buy into your culture and why you're special. So that's number one. If you don't believe in it, they're not going to believe in it. So you got to sell your practice to them. I don't think people do that enough. And if you have a great culture, that's your biggest selling uh, point. If you don't think you have a great culture, call us, we'll help you get one. But the point is, is People want to work for companies that are thriving, growing, or are making a difference in, in the community. Number two, listen. Uh, unfortunately, we're in a place where they have a lot of options. So you got to interview people, figure out if they're the right person, but listen to what their needs are and try to customize packages, quote unquote, packages that meet their needs and, and, and head on direct with, hey, what would it take? What, what I, I want to have you in my practice. I don't want metrics or, or numbers to be the reason. So please, let's have an honest conversation. Having those direct conversations on somebody that you want um, can really move the needle. I find that people just throw offers out and, and they hope and pray, but you just can't do that today. 
maybe three years ago you could. Today you can't. Um, there's so much more art, but I oh, could keep I, going. I, I know you could. And, and I'll tell you, I've always said, and I've said this again on the podcast, and my listeners know I repeat myself, and I will repeat myself again. Um, I, as an employer, a CPA for 33 years, I ran my own practice before I merged it with another firm. Uh, I will hire attitude and I can teach skills. Attitude is really number one to me. And, and in my opinion, Michael, and this is what I tell you know people, my clients and anybody who listen to me is number one. When you're talking to a prospect, I like to say the number one thing that is most important in this practice is the total health of our patients. It's not money. It's not making money. It's the health of the patients and their well-being, not just their dental health, but their total health. And the other thing is that we treat our employees with respect and we elicit their input and it's a fun place to work. What, what do you think about that? I couldn't, I couldn't echo that louder. In fact, I'm going to tell you a little story and I, and sure. I got it out of a, a book. Okay. So there's a book that I would suggest all of you read on this topic and it's called the Nordstrom way, the Nordstrom mm -hmm. way. Yep. It's such a great book. And I, I I'm at, I'm based out of Washington, Seattle, Washington, Tacoma. It's all the same. And Nordstrom's right there, the flagship. Yep. And so of course I have to talk about Nordstrom, right? But Nordstrom talks about the, the greatest trainers for employees are an employee's parents. <laughs> Think about that. And yes, I just snorted. Because, because if a parent can teach people responsibility and passion and, you know, um, respect, um, attitude, you can train everything. Else. I mean, I, I'm a consultant. I teach people, Stefani, Paula, teach people skills. We can, we can teach skills all day long, grab the right person. But here's the story. So um, empower your employees. And if you can somehow convey this in an interview, um, Nordstrom, before it was Nordstrom, uh, basically operated when they bought the, the company. I forget what the company was. It's kind of like a Sears. Imagine a Sears. You could buy anything at Sears, tires, whatever. Nordstrom bought this company with the idea of retail long-term, but a customer came in when Nordstrom had just acquired that company in its inception, and a customer came in and said, hey, I bought these tires and the tread is just not really what I wanted. And they just weren't happy with the tire. And Nordstrom had just bought the company and they're not in the business of tires. Okay. Right. The, the other company was. And so Nordstrom though, had this top down policy to empower every salesperson on the floor to make the right decision for the patient. Okay. And I'm kind of going digressing here. This is a really cool, cool story. The person that had that opportunity decided to honor the refund of that tire 100% no questions asked just to make sure that 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 customer was 100% satisfied they they returned a tire they're not even in the business of tires they made the right decision they empowered every salesperson on the floor to make the right decision if you are hiring people if you're interviewing something somebody you have to be able to trust them to make great decisions on the floor and if you can't then you got to you got to you got to sec you got to second guess it. But you can always train skills. If you meet somebody at the Cheesecake Factory or an Uber driver or someone at the airport, and they just wowed you with customer service, respect, honesty, passion, 
grab them, we can make them a dental assistant. We can make them a front office guru. That it's a, that's easy. Um, but grab the right people. Yeah, no, that, that's great. Last thing I want to talk about on, on startups, then I want to get into a little bit on um, due diligence and buying dental practice. Expectations, Michael, in the first year of a startup. What maybe some, you know, what what's a good expectation? I have a number in mind I'm interested to hear as far as gross revenues in a first year that would make me successful. I know it's all over the board. And maybe some traits of what your successful startups have done. Oh, great. Okay, so I'll just answer the question directly on on a revenue curve basis. But everybody wants a million dollar startup right out of the gate. It's not going to happen. I mean, no. of course, of course, I have anonymies. I've got one right now in Colorado that's pacing it. But perfect storm, right environment, right doctor, right team. Um, the the answer is is I, I'd be happy if my clients hit five hundred in the first year. I'd be happy. Four four twenty five is probably the average. 425. Um, my average anyways, I think the bank's average is closer to 400 or 390 something the first year. So there's some numbers. And then you would think that it would be a crazy ramp up, but it's not, you know, I think the bank has a projection of like 400, 425, 460. Like it's, it's, it's not like 450, 600. It's not. And so, um, so, so there's the, there's the metrics. I always say keeping your associate position and your first year as a startup, um, you'll make 150 if you do it right. Yeah, um, well, that, that would be great. I mean, uh, that, that pays the bills, pays your student loans. And so, okay, well, let, let, let's jump into a little bit about the other part of some of the stuff that you do. You do a lot of different things. Um, is management due diligence. So someone's going to buy, and I'm a dental practice broker. So uh, you come in, look at one of the practices that I'm I'm selling, and um, you know what, what do you what, what reports do you look at? I mean, what what do you give me kind of an overview of what do you do when you go in there, and what are you looking for? Great, great, great question. And this is what I'm going to have you on on my past uh, podcast art. We're going to have this discussion on on dental acquisition uncensored. But but you said uh, I can say bad words on your podcast, right? Yes, that's right. I give you oh, that. Oh, that is so cool. I've never said one bad word in three and a half years. In your, in your whole life? Are no, 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 no. I've never said it on a podcast. I've never said a bad word. I've never slipped. I'm very impressed that I've done that. But I I, I guess I'll folks, have to speak. Folks, I bet, I bet if I had a microphone on art, on the golf course, we would get a, a couple bad words out of him. Um, I bet. Yeah, you probably <laughs> ask. Well, ask my son. He's been on the guy. Actually, both my sons have been on the golf course with me. So there you go. <laughs> All right. So, um, so we we're going to interview you. Are I'm going to ask you the same question on mine, so we can compare notes here. But so, as a buyer's rep, I, I'm my first line of defense is cash flow. It is it. How could it not be? You're buying a practice for a history. Uh, you're you're looking at a practice for a history of cash flow to try to predict a future outcome of what your cash flow will look like in the future. So if you don't know what the cash flow truly is, and that's the key, truly is, you're a practice broker, I would trust your cash flow art because you're a natural born CPA and, and accountant. So I like your, I would probably love your, your adjustments and addbacks, but I know that a lot of practice brokers really are sloppy with their cash flow. So I want to do my own 
And I want to know exactly if the closest I can, it's, it's impossible to know for certain, but exactly what amount of money my clients could, could potentially make by comparing 2021 or timestamping it because we just, we're in May, right? Well, June, are we June today? June 1st today. June. This podcast will come out probably sometime in July, but today is June 1st. So that means that 2021's tax returns are probably done. So I'm going to look at 2021. I'm going to totally discard 2020. What a mess. I'll do that. Yeah. 2020 is like a throwaway year. And then 19 is my other really anchor. So I'm looking at 2021 and 2019. And those are my anchors to predict. So first and foremost, cash flow. Then I'm looking at production reports to try to get a gauge. And I know some metrics uh, to kind of get a gauge of how their hygiene department's doing. If they're a conservative or aggressive diagnoser, um, what things they are doing that my buyer can't do and what things they are not doing that my buyer can do. And lining all of that up, you're in a pretty good, pretty good spot to make an offer, in my opinion. Okay. And so let's talk about where you see, I mean, I'm assuming that there's three answers you give to a buyer, either jump on this practice, buy it. I don't care if you pay an extra 25,000 or don't walk, run as fast as you can from this practice or somewhere in between. So what are some of the opportunities and some of the, I mean, mean, you've looked at some really great practices where you've said to the buyer, this is really great and we can make it greater. What are some of the things that you see with a good practice that say that that tell you to tell a buyer jump on this? Yeah, um, to to back to kind of similar to the answer before. Um, if I have an associate that's making one hundred and fifty grand as an associate, and we're looking at a practice that's throwing off three hundred after debt, two hundred or two fifty, that that's a change in lifestyle instantly. Cash flow's mm-hmm. king. Um, if I have a, an associate making three, four hundred as associate, and they're going to bring me a practice that's thrown off one hundred and fifty, I'm going to have a real conversation about what their lifestyle looks like. And exactly. I've had buyers, I've had clients tell me it's okay, Michael. I know what I'm buying. And then a year after they're into it, they're like, "Why did I do this?" And I'm like, "I tried to tell you." So, so lifestyle and cash flow. That's why cash flow is that first thing that I look at because lifestyle is the first thing, right? The other thing, the other thing is uh, if I can if I can figure out by the numbers on the front end because you're not looking at chart audit yet. You're not doing. You're not digging in and looking at your reports in the practice. You're just looking at what's been provided. If I can determine that it's a conservative practice, and I ask my client, "Do you think you're aggressive? Do you think you're?" I can typically tell what their chair side looks like just by all my conversations. You can quickly see, I've seen it where clients buy a practice that semi-conservative or really conservative. I'm looking at one and there's a crown to filling ratio of like 10 to one or seven to one. And I like to see three to one as kind of the average filling to crown ratio. So if it's a seven to one and my client's like, yeah, I'm not, aggressive, but I'm a, I'm a little bit more than conservative, they're going to crush it. They're going to absolutely crush it. And if they're, and if they're naturally trained to root canals and implants and stuff that the other practice isn't, again, I'm looking at opportunity. I'm not saying I'm valuing the practice. 
based on opportunity, but I am looking at opportunity as a practice consultant, helping my client really figure out what that transition plan looks like post-close. But but you're so accurate, Michael. I, I was I was reading an article on the internet this morning. I, I try and read as much as I can. 36% of Americans, a survey was done by a national company. 36% of Americans who make $250,000 a year or more are living paycheck to paycheck. That's scary. So if you're a doctor who's making, like Michael says, three or 400,000 a year, I mean, if you're going to buy a practice, you need to buy a, a million and a half dollar practice just to break even. And your payment's going to be over 10,000. I mean, it's scary stuff. So you need to go into this with your eyes wide open. Let, let's go to the other gamut, Michael. You, you look into a practice and you just say, you know, here's some, what are some warning signs of a practice? Like the doctor the buyer just falls in love. It's in the town he grew up in or she grew up in. And they like the the, the seller because the seller is a nice person. But what are some warning signs when you start digging into the management reports or the or the or what you do that, that says run from this practice? Yeah, it, it's I, I hate the, a fluctuation of of sales, uh, like major fluctuations a spike in sales if we've been pacing 800 9 800 825 815 850 i love that consistency in top line if i see 850 850 1 million i'm a little concerned <laughs> um well there's we 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 need to ask why right well because they may have been ramping it up and did all the dentistry in the practice and you walk in and there's nothing left because they knew they were going to sell in a year and just crushed it or, uh, but, you, but there's a story too. You don't walk, you don't run from that. I'm just simply saying you got to get the story on that. Um, you know, maybe they just got an associate in there that, that went full time when they kind of barely were looking at it part-time or, or whatever. You got to look at ortho. I mean, if you're not someone that's comfortable with ortho and there's 20 cases happening right now, ortho can be very scary, especially since the way you get paid up front typically. And right. then you got to figure out who owes who at the end. That's nervous. Nervous Nelly for me. Um, if, if you're seeing like a one-to-one crown filling ratio, I mean, that could be a full mouth restore. Sometimes type practice. Sometimes practice brokers say, no, it's not. And and you're just seeing a lot of crowns and very little fillings. That could be a, a more of a, co- co- you know, a cosmetic type practice. If you're a bread and butter dentist, do not think that you could take an LVI training and tomorrow be that type of practice owner. Nope. nope. I've nope. shut down more practices that, that were like that full restore, like crazy dentistry type practices where a bread and butter dentist of client of mine was like, yeah, I think I can do that with a little hand holding of the seller. He said he's going to stay around and help me. Do not take that on. That's a runaway for me. I, I think anyways. Now here's one as a, and again, as a practice broker and there's lots, there, 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 there's good dental coaches and bad dental coaches. You're a good dental coach. There's good CPAs and best there's good and bad brokers. 
Um, I do not get in your way. I don't challenge you. As, as When I was a CPA, I mean, not, I'm still a CPA, but when I was doing due diligence work as an accountant, my partner, Pam, does all the due diligence now. And my my big joke with Pam is that um, she's pissed off all the dental practice brokers in Southern California because she's doing her job <laughs> of, of, of looking at, at, at the numbers. But, you know, when I look at this, I stay out of your way. You know, you have, it's important to me that the buyer does every bit of due diligence that they can do. And if they don't, shame on them because it is buyer beware out there and stuff. Here's another thing. Co-payments. You you ever run into a practice, Michael, where where the seller waives the co-payments? Yes. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. So major no-no. Yeah, but collections and a- AR insurance are, fraud, are, racketeering, illegal. Other yep. than that, it's okay, right? Look, that's right. And look at the codes. If there are a bunch of made-up codes, that's that's a challenge. You got to look at the codes. Um, Made-up. Made what, what, what do you mean by made-up codes? Just not ADA codes. It's just a random. They make a random code and call it. They bill whatever they want if it's a random code. Um, you can make up your own code. Really? Oh, oh gosh. Heard, 38 years. I've not heard that one. I've not heard made up codes, but go ahead. I mean, there's, I there's believe you. the reason, the reason why you can do that. It makes sense. If you're trying to track something, like I just asked my client, um, uh, the, the team thinks that we're not getting good, uh, acceptance rates on, or, or having too many failures on, on some fillings with a younger associate. So I said, make up a code. And attach that code to every filling so that we can start tracking the failures on each one. Because you can then pull a report just on that code and how many you did. So it's it's for it's for tracking purposes. But yeah, people make up codes all the time, like uh, charging for uh, Invisalign sleeves, charging for tips on lasers. There's no codes uh-huh. in the ADA book for that, but you can right. make one up and charge it. You got to look into the weird codes. Um, and, and and that it's not very common, but I've I've definitely have seen it. But are you said what are the things that you'd run away from? Collecting is one of those things. If the accounts receivables are a mess, you got to know they're going to be a mess day one, and so you got to address that pretty quickly. Of what they're doing, maybe they don't have fee schedules entered. Maybe their treatment planning process needs to be figured out. But if if you think you're going to collect better than the seller, the answer is probably not, unless you fire the front office person and bring your own in. Well, and, and the problem, Michael, is that when the and I have a number, I'd be interested in yours. I like to see sixty-five to seventy-five percent of the average one month's production to be accounts receivable. That that's my number. Is your number close yeah. to that? Yeah, it's it's basically yeah. That's even better than mine. I. I I take the collections of 2021 in in this case and divide it by 12, which gives you one month. Right. And if the ARs are less than that, I'm fairly happy. Okay. So they're less than that. But, But the problem that you have, if the ARs are really high, is the front office and the doctor has trained, have trained the patients not to pay. So now the new buyer comes in and the new buyer says, uh, the front office, well, I, I need to collect your 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 portion up front. We need half for the crown. Well, wait a minute. What what kind of what kind of crap are you pulling with me? Cr- crap is okay on this show. 
but, but anyway. <laughs> so what kind of crap? What kind of crap are we are we pulling? I'm looking forward to your pocket. Anyway, so <laughs> I'm just kidding, folks. Really, I am. I am looking forward to. It. But but what kind we're of crap are you pulling? Now. Because we're gonna, you know, Doctor Doctor Smith never made me do that. And then the thing yeah. with not collecting co-payments. Now we don't see it often, but when we do. I, as a broker, if I see that the buy asks the question, you collect co-pays, if the answer is no, I refuse to take the listing. That is a lawsuit waiting to happen because then all the patients come and say, wait a minute, Dr. Smith never made me pay my co-pay. What are you pulling? I'm leaving. And they'll all do that. So anyway, um, how there's about- a, There's another, there's ahead, another one, Art. We're talking about financial arrangements. It's so important to a transition to understand what that looks like. But I'm a big fan of memberships, mem membership plans in a yeah, dental office. Yeah, I, I am too. It, but the folks that do their own in-house that they've made up, and, and some people do that. And for the listeners out there, if you've done that, I'm not not condoning it. But there are some really aggressive membership plans that collect a lot of money up front and, and, and leave very little on a monthly basis or whatever. And if you buy that practice, it's just like ortho. You got to look at the membership plans and see what you're inheriting to figure to figure that out. And and are you okay with that membership plan? And if you're not, are you going to offer a different membership plan? But the patients are used to this, whether or or not it's right or wrong. Art, you made a solid point. The patients are used to it. Another one. You're in California, Delta Dental. I mean, let's uh, talk about that premier okay. PPO. No, no, that, that makes this a three hour podcast, but go ahead. <laughs> the uh, Financial arrangements are just so huge. So you got to decide if you're going to keep Delta or not and what that conversation looks like. So these are all things yeah, from absolutely. a financial arrangement perspective that you got to think about before you buy. And if you don't understand all of the arrangements, you got to figure that out quick. And, and this is why, doctors, if you are starting up or if you are buying a practice, you need to talk to a professional who's been through it hundreds of times. And again, I don't do advertising for my guests. I don't have to because they're all the best of the best. I don't I, I really <laughs> I, I don't there. I get I probably get. 10 or 15 solicitations a month of people who want to be on my podcast. And I don't, I, I, I choose who I choose. So, you know, this is really important. How about prior work experience, Michael? In other words, if I get a doctor who's been working in a, um, uh, you know, a, a, a high volume clinic and they're producing 150,000 a month, how are they going to adjust to buying a fee for service practice and maybe vice versa? Do you, do you get into that conversation with a buyer? Yeah, I do. And it's more psychological. And again, it's deeper conversation because there could be fee schedule things like if the fee schedule is dramatically different to your point, PPO, but even, even looking at a PPO versus another PPO or, or a Medicaid, you could have a high producer on a very low fee schedule, right? Or, right. or, you, or right. you could have a really weak producer with a high fee schedule. It's really about that marriage and what that looks like. And when we do chart audits, when my clients do chart audits, I, I always ask them to take some pictures of the schedule and, and let's see how busy it is. And they oftentimes come back and say, gosh, it's really slow. I'm so much busier than this. And so that's not necessarily a bad thing. Obviously, there's room to grow. But if the fee schedules are good for like a fee for service type practice, we're all striving 
to work uh, less hard and make more money. We're all striving for that. So I wouldn't say that it's, um, you know, one size, one, one shoe, one size fits all type scenario. You just got to really look at the fee schedules. You got to look at the schedule. You got to look at what you're doing. But again, if you keep taking it back to the cash flow, if the, if the schedule's not full, but you're still throwing off 300, okay, let's make it bigger. We've got room to grow. You know what I mean? But yeah. It's about having a plan and having a vision. It's like anything else. Last thing I want to touch on before we uh, we call it a day, Michael, is let's talk about the 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 biggest challenge. I mentioned it earlier. The biggest challenge that dentists have today is finding and maintaining, you know, team members. Uh, I, I had I was at the dental convention. One of my clients came by and he says, "Art, I had my best assistant who this place would fall apart without." And basically, they said, "I." I'm paying them 26 an hour and they they wanted 40 an hour and I gave it to them. I mean, that's scary stuff out there. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, t- maybe do you have any tips on on what your clients are doing on finding people and keeping them? I, I You know, j- j- I, I think that's important for all people listening to this podcast. Yeah, you know, we're at a place where you can't afford to lose them. But at the same time, there is a cross section of what makes sense and what doesn't. I don't have, you know, our, I wish I had an answer for hygienists. Like I read an article that there's like two thirds of the hygienists in the, in the market today, or maybe even less than there was three years ago. That's a huge gaping hole huge. That, huge. that we cannot fill. And so when a hygienist, it's, it's a very difficult time for a consultant coach because there's so much opportunity in hygiene. But then the question is, is how hard do you press? And and what can you ask of your hygienist before they walk out mad that you're asking them to improve? Three, four years ago, I could ask a hygienist, hey, listen, we really need to start tracking perio. We need to, we need to get you to start helping the dentist sell more cases. We need you to be a little bit quicker today. Yeah, that's that, that's that's Russian roulette. I mean, that's the yeah. It is, it is. So I don't have a solution on finding hygienists. Um, but, I, but what I can tell you is think outside the box and control what you can control. If a dental assistant or a front office or a, a, an insurance coordinator is holding you hostage, you can train these skills. It's going to be difficult. You might have to take a couple Saturdays out on your day off and treat and teach them how to put a, a, a dental dam on or, or to do an impression the right way. But you can train a dental assistant that's got less experience to, and mold them. And usually those people will be more loyal and appreciate that training. So that's a, that's a, that's a good thing. Check, check. So I think we all in the industry have to find ways to give our employees who don't have the skills, skills, maybe it's higher next level. Maybe it's send them off to Arizona and do some program. I don't have a solution for hygiene, but for the other, for the other ones, you shouldn't be held hostage for an, a, a scheduling coordinator, a treatment coordinator, insurance coordinator, a dental assistant, a floater. We can train all these types of people, get the right people, maybe someone that works at Nordstrom and train them. I know it's going to be a lot of hard work, but you're going to get them cheaper. They're going to be more loyal. They're all There's people looking to break into our industry every single day. We just got to spend a little time with them. That's the solution, frankly. That, that's a great, great answer. 
Uh, Michael, final comments to our audience, and then I'm going to let you give out your information one more time. Uh, this is great. I, I love doing this. I, if I could sit behind yeah, a microphone yeah. 24 hours, well, maybe not 24 hours a day. I mean, there is basketball <laughs> to be watched, but, um, you know, um, uh, anyway, uh, any final comments? You know, I, uh, first of all, thanks again, Art, for having me on. You're a legend in the industry and, uh, and I'm honored to be on the program. Um, I love what I do. I think you guys all hear that in my in my passion. My vision and my philosophy is helping doctors make great decisions, whether that's someone trying to get into ownership or someone that's looking to grow their practice or someone that's looking to transition out on an exit strategy of some sort. We love what we do. We've got a lot of great coaches to help you do that. But my final point of this whole episode is have a healthy skepticism of advisors in the network. There definitely are some bad eggs out there. Art already said that. But you need people on your team that know what they're doing. Vet them, ask questions, ask for references, interview them more than maybe the first interview, interview them three more times. But once they are on your team, trust them because they have done hundreds, maybe thousands of deals and they've seen things and trust them. Don't fight them. Trust them. Um, that's my biggest thing is, is get people in your corner to help you be a better business person. Big picture. That's that's my final final. That, that That's fantastic advice. Okay, Michael, um, you gave out a website and a phone number. Why don't you go ahead and tell people how they can get a hold of you if you have any questions. Michael's offered to give you basically a free coaching lesson for 45 minutes. So what uh, what how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, look below in the show notes, but definitely call me um, 720-309-9551, 720-309-9551. But I did want the opportunity to plug the podcast, and we already did. I have two no, podcasts. What One podcast is specific to startups, and, and we literally walk through start to finish on how to do a startup, vision, banking, demographics, lease. Um, construction, architecture, attorneys, architect or CPAs, literally from step one to 22 on how to do a startup. And that's called Startup Uncensored. And we just started a new one called Acquisition Uncensored. Same thing, vision, banking, practice brokers. And we're going to have art on during the due diligence. Like, what do we look at for the due diligence? Uh, art's going to be on all the way through HR, marketing. So in, in order too, a lot of podcasts bring on great uh, interviewers like yours are where you're talking about different concepts. Our podcasts have been very specific to the process of a startup right. and the process of an acquisition. So check that out. There's two specific ones. And, and remember, doctors, if you're looking at a startup or you're looking at an acquisition, the great thing about the podcast world is that you can go back in Michael's you know podcast and you can literally start listening from podcast number one all the way through. Um, you know, it, it's not like you know binge watching a, a Netflix show. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. But um, <laughs> yeah, we won't we won't go down that road. But anyway, but the point is, is that you can listen to all of them, and if they're in order, I mean, it, it's basically a, a, a you know, it, it's a manual on how to do the startup. It's a manual on how to do you know, to buy a practice. And if you're going to do it, it's going to be one of the biggest investments you're ever going to make in your life. Take the time, hire the coach, um, you know, do your homework. 
Michael Dunzio, please hang with me until I uh, take the podcast out. Don't go away. Um, great, great, great information. Really appreciate it. Looking forward to, to, to returning the favor on your podcast in a little bit when we're scheduled to do that. And, um, uh, really, really, I, I just, it, this is just so much fun for me. And, and the bottom line is we're helping our doctors, which is really all that matters. That's what my, what my vision, you know, what, what my legacy is, is what your legacy is. So, uh, anyway, guys, remember, um, my, uh, my wonderful, wonderful partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Go to their website, you know, look at their clinical uh, their articles, their their CE courses. They've got a lot of new stuff coming up in the future. I know that for a fact. So just kind of keep watching what they're doing, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Uh, if you're looking for a dental CPA, my phone number is 657-279-3243. And my, uh, my email is awiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at Ide Bailey, E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Uh, our Academy of Dental CPAs, www.adcpa.org. Um, we were the first responders financially for the dental profession for the last two years. And we are all very proud of the work we've done to help. I mean, I I did, I gosh, 50, 75 webinars talking about PPP and ERTC and HHS and ESPN and HBO and I mean whatever whatever initials the government threw at us we dealt with so <laughs> anyway you like that huh Michael but anyway um, that was a great great interview today and folks thank you for the honor and the privilege of your time please tell your friends about our podcast uh, please listen to the episodes download them all they're all available on all the podcast uh, locations and I hope this is helpful for D- for you. Uh, and with that, uh, my name is Art Wiederman, Dental Division Director at the CPA firm of Ide Bailey. And this has been the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman. Uh, thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.